640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's do that. 735, by the way, four degrees, a much more uh, reasonable drive-in than the late morning. But beyond the full day drive was yesterday, uh, we're going to stay around four degrees. Uh, It's Toronto today at 640 Toronto. And we do Think Tank every Monday to Friday between 730 and 8 o'clock uninterrupted until we run out of breathing time. Uh, Sarbjeet Kaur is the founder of KPW Communications, and she joins us this morning. It's lovely to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time for us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Happy to have you. And a familiar voice, Stephanie Smythe, broadcaster, joins us now on Toronto Today. You were... Wait a minute. Am I dreaming? Were you just on Think Tank on Monday? That was great that you were. (laughs) And we prepared you a little more in advance. So I appreciate you coming on as always. Oh, it's always a treat. Thanks. And good morning, everyone. Well, let's start with uh, with you, Sarbjeet. Uh, uh, Toronto's facing a 10.5% property tax increase. That's the number we're going with. Two city councilors said it's down from 11.3, which is where they were worried it was going to be over the weekend. So There's a lot to talk about, right? Toronto's property taxes have been low for quite a long time, much too long. This is going to be an average household increase of between $400 and $500. We played a clip earlier, Sarbjeet, of Olivia Chow campaigning for people's votes, saying Toronto just isn't affordable anymore. (laughs) This tax increase does not make anything more affordable. It makes it less affordable, does it not? Absolutely. I mean, uh, everybody's struggling right now. Grocery prices are high. Um, you know, jobs in the recession, everything is precarious. She did not campaign on this. And frankly, this argument that property taxes are low, it can definitely be challenged because any way you cut it, Toronto is one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world Mm. between various user fees and paid parking and some of the services that other municipalities include in their property taxes. You know, we pay separate for garbage bins and things like that. So that doesn't really hold water. It's a huge increase. It's, it's pretty shocking, frankly. It's one thing, Steph, as well, because uh, Sarbjeet makes some great points. And there were many candidates, um, Brad Bradford, Anthony Fury, even Josh Matlow said, of course, we have to reevaluate some of what we spend on. I, I like to put it, we got to look under the hood of the car. And that was even brought up by Bradford at City Council in November. And the majority of city council, including votes from Shelley Carroll, Paula Fletcher, Gord Perks, they decided they didn't want to do it. Um, there's not a ton of, of, of explanation as to why that's the case. Why wouldn't you want to find redundancies? Why wouldn't you want to find out, just like we all do in our own households, what are we overspending on? And they just didn't seem to want to. Well, and she also has her own agenda, right, which she wants to to push through, which is the city being involved in building affordable housing, which is a real struggle right now. And also, you know, I, I'm gobsmacked by the size of this, but at the same time, I'm not. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, as just said, she, she didn't campaign on this. Well, she kind of did not campaign on this. Like you saw every, you know, Brad Bradford, Anthony Fury, all the other, you know, relatively right wing candidates saying, a right of center. Look at, you know, let us know what your tax increase is going to be, Olivia Chow, you know, and she wouldn't give a number. It'll be modest, she said, you know, and no, give us a number. They kept paying a number. And I know it was hard for the then campaigning Chow to give an exact, exact figure. But double digits, what we're looking at right now, clearly they're worried about public uh public response to this. They've been floating it and leaking it for three days now. Shelly Carroll warning everybody, right? So Either way, it's going to be double digits. It's going to be in the hundreds of dollars. And I like the fact that, you know, we see that her her spokesperson is trying to pin it on the previous government. You know, she inherited a financial mess. 
Yeah, so, some look, of which look, is true. Some of which is true. There's a lot of counselors who, who you know, absolutely have to look in the mirror for either overspending, not looking under the proverbial hood of the car, Steph, or or previous mayors. We can go John Tory, the late Rob Ford. We can go back to David Miller. This is decades of low property tax rates when maybe we needed to sort of grin and bear it in a previous year. Well, you know, the financial situation she's inherited is exactly the same one that was inherited by John Tory and the mayors before her, which him, which is very true, as you're saying. But also there are structural deficits there. There is the COVID hangover um, and that those expenses not covered by other governments, which they should have done. Um, those governments at the same time withdrawing funding for things like refugees. So if you take those things out, especially COVID, the financial shortfall going into the budget for 2024 uh, you know, you know, it was really what she truly inherited. If you're not trying to be, you know, too political about it, is a broken federal, provincial, municipal funding structure, and that yeah, is broken. Yeah, go ahead, Sergeant. I kind Sergeant. of agree that when you when you take on things that are, you know, the jurisdiction of other governments, uh, it's mission creep. It's not your core duties, and it shouldn't fall on the pro- uh, mm. property tax base to be covering those kind of housing, major infrastructure projects. And then when you take that on, you're essentially letting the provincial and federal governments off the hook instead of holding them to account to pay Mm. for these things. And in terms of, you know, whether she campaigned on this or not, I'd say then the one positive thing is if if people essentially knew what they were going to get and they voted for her, then she does have that mandate. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Torontonians, if we accept this increase, at least at the very least, I'll be looking to see if we see some real improvement and if we can see that there isn't litter on the streets and things like that and all things that people have really been able to see, you know, transit kind of disintegrating before our eyes, that might help make this increase go down better. But we'd have to wait and see if we actually see, you know, the fruits of this extra investment that we are all being asked to make. Let me let me come. Right. At least see it's the oldest trick in the book, though, to yes. blame the prior administration. Right. And it's kind of utilized to cover up a failure to make some difficult decisions. So we have to watch what happens. And maybe the honeymoon is coming to an end. Let me come. Let me come back on this on on, uh, with both of you, but with a sort of yes or no question on this. And before we move on. But here's Anna Bailao. This is a week before the election. Anna Bailao finished a close second to Olivia Chow in the campaign. Here's her promising to keep the property tax rate at the rate of inflation. You know, Olivia Chow doesn't even tell us how much she's going to increase on property taxes. When we having, when people are facing an affordability crisis, a lot of people bought homes recently. Interest rates are going up all the time. They're having a tough time even keeping their homes. And Olivia Chow doesn't tell you if it's going to be 15% or 20%. I've committed to have property tax rates at the rate of inflation because I recognize the affordability crisis that it has and the impact that it has on people's lives. So let's let's go to the uh, in essence the brass tacks of this, Sarbjeet. Are you worried that with Toronto, it, it, Toronto's affordability affects the people who live here already, or does it detract from the idea that we can attract people to invest, we can attract new people to live here? Because there's always going to be people leaving. The problem is if we really run out of people wanting to come and live, the people that are entrenched, you are people are already entrenched, and they know that they'll stay, barring something catastrophic or dramatic. It's getting new people to want to be here, go to school here, live here, work here, right? Absolutely. And this is the irony of, um, you know, sometimes people on the left want to increase the cost, but you don't realize that that's just making it more inaccessible for working people, the teachers who teach at our schools, the nurses who work at our hospitals. We don't want a society where only the rich get to live in the city and everyone else has to commute in from some suburbs. And speak as a person who lived and grew up in the suburbs and always 
I never I never dreamed I would be able to live in Toronto and by some way we made it here. Yeah. But it's very expensive. It's very expensive. Yeah, and we used to always, Steph, we used to always be able to say, well, if you can't live in Toronto, you start in the suburbs. That's impossible now. Like it is, it is, I mean, and again, I can't lay that at the doorstep of Olivia Chow. This is, this is provincial. This is almost a societal issue, but it's a lot more significant in Southern Ontario than it feels like it is almost anywhere else. Well, you're seeing it in every major city right now, right? The the Mm. economy has turned around. It's absolutely changed from, you know, the 90s especially. And so it's just, it's a fact of life. And the fact that we're seeing these tax Mm. increases is just frightening and adding to the bulk of uh, unaffordability. All right. Well, I want to get to this big story about uh, the the kid in in Peterborough um, and the baseball bat and the robbery attempt. But I want to stay on this Toronto police story. Toronto Police Union weighs in on protests and this coffee delivery Saturday was captured on video. The police unions kind of ticked off. Um, Chief Myron Demke apologized on Sunday morning. By the way, this was long before the Olivia Chow skating party that got disrupted by uh, protesters shouting into megaphones and going onto the ice without skates on. But Myron Demke's apology, uh, it doesn't sound like the police unions uh, taking it at face value. And it doesn't sound like they think very much of it as well, Sarbjeet. I wonder, though, I, I get the union because I think this happens in education and healthcare, and rightly so, because it's what you pay your dues for. The union's probably going to end up backing the rank and file here and just saying they're kind of powerless. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't with a lot of the situations the last three months they've been placed in. I kind of agree with the union on this one that, you know, this officer was kind of thrown under the bus because of a outcry or a very short snippet of a video that didn't provide the full context. Like these officers, their job is to monitor for safety and keep the peace, keep tensions from getting high in these situations. They spend a lot of time with the protesters and they get to kind of know them. The end of the day, everything is about de-escalation. So if they are having some protesters who want to join and they're saying Mm -hmm. you cannot join, and those protesters have some coffee for their fellow protesters. They moved the coffee for a couple of feet. They didn't go buy coffee for them at Tim Hortons and mix the cream and sugar for them and say, do you want some donuts as well? They simply took the donuts <laughs> a few feet, you know, to say, fine, to keep the peace, you guys stay over here, we'll take this for you. And that blew into something else. And, uh, you know, frankly, for them, this is very common in any yeah. kind of protest scenario. It keeps lines of communication open it's a tactic to say it's not even that they're really their friends. They're trying to pretend they're their friends so that, you know, the next time you need cooperation and say, hey, I need you to get off this bridge or, hey, can you move over a little bit? Those people do not have a hostile attitude towards you. Everyone is communicating and there is no benefit to keep um, to, to make the police and the protesters at odds with each other in these types of scenarios. I think you nailed it. And Steph, we saw the same kind of criticism, fair or unfair, during the Freedom Convoy. Well, it looks like the cops are budding around. Does that mean they support the cause completely? Does that mean they hate Justin Trudeau? It doesn't mean any of that necessarily. They're trying to keep things as de-escalated as they can until it's to be nice until it's time not to be nice, basically. Yeah, I applaud that. Like, I, I think that it's so important to keep things as things as absolutely as peaceful as possible. This was a, a second in time that was out of context, as Subjit said, and, you know, it wouldn't have happened if that had been stopped in the first place. Like, that protest mm. shouldn't have been happening, period. That's a whole other conversation that everybody's been having. But I think that's why it is just so inflamed, right? I'm sure mm. they passed coffee around at the trucker protest. It's all about just tamp- tamping things down, right? I get that. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, if you look at that protest, it shouldn't have been going on. And that's why it got so much attention in the first place. 
Sarbjeet, I know you got opinions on this next one. This story is getting mainstream play. It certainly has been growing. Uh, so let's talk about it. A Rebel News reporter named David Menzies thrown against the wall. He was arrested for, I think I think it's a confronting in a journalistic fashion. Canada's Deputy Prime Minister, Finance Minister, Christopher Freeland, tried to ask questions with a mic and camera. Didn't get very far into those questions um, before this uh, conflict happened, and it was a physical conflict. So I'm not sure anyone looks awesome in the video, including Freeland. Um, but what were your perceptions of the video? Have they changed over the last couple of days? Well, if you look beyond the video and you just look at the history of rebel news and rebel media and this constant debate and even the past actions of this individual who calls himself a reporter, you, you would have a different take on it. So first of all, as a person who's worked as a journalist, who has a degree in journalism, this idea that anyone can be a journalist you know, put a sticker on your hat and get all the access, all the privileges, that, that's absurd. It doesn't have to be a high bar. It doesn't have to be that you have to go 10 years to medical school like a doctor. But there are standards. There are some standards, and Rebel Media, frankly, doesn't meet barely any of them, maybe. And that's being generous. I would say none, actually. Secondly, the individual himself, Mr. Menzies, who calls himself a journalist, he's been arrested before for the same type of thing with a conservative uh, MP Melissa Lance, and, yeah. and a third mm-hmm. time, a third time, and and every day there's new things coming out about some of the the antics that he's pulled. So the idea that he was just this innocent professional journalist doing a professional job that's that's not true either. He has a history with this. wasn't the first time that RCMP officers saw him. They have seen him doing this again and again and again. Where if we take it off this label of journalist, he's essentially a stalker harassing her while she's trying to do work. Third, I would say that it's a dangerous time to be in politics if you're a woman or even a man. It's been very polarizing. If you went to any other country, the way she walks around with her staffer and, you know, these RCMP officers, it's not like that. We're very lucky to have access to people, but nobody, especially a woman, should have to have their, their fearful while they're at work. And what they did, whether it was right or wrong, let's put it in context, he was stopped. He was detained. He was released after a few hours. You know, it wasn't any, uh, I would say, significant harm done to him. And if you look at the video, we can debate it all day long. He did touch the officer. Once you touch an officer, I don't know if you, me, or anyone else could get away with that. You're done. You're Ste- done. Steph, it, it is. I, I think about that video of Christopher Freeland in that hotel lobby in Alberta. And regardless mm-hmm. of what people think about politics and people think about the job she's doing or has done, there's some things that are are just beyond. They cross lines. They don't blur lines. They cross lines. And this is what Subjit said was bang on. This Rebel News is not a news organization. Call, let's call it. They call it news. It's Rebel Media. David Menzies is not a journalist. He is a personality. I hate the fact that we're even talking about this and giving them oxygen because this is all about their fundraising. This is a tactic by this organization. They go and look and go. Ooh, look at us! Freedom of the press. You know, send us money. And we will tell you the real news because mainstream media can't give it to you. Look, I'm just trying to get get the information for you from the minister and mainstream media isn't doing that. I can do that for you. This is a tactic. It's been, as Harjit said, it's been done over and over again. He even did this with a reporter that worked at CP24, a form of harassment. So this is a, a contemplated stunt. And now it's open this big debate and they're trying to get in the parliamentary press mm. gallery and to Subject's earlier point. These are not journalists. They don't abide by the standards. I find it insulting, like Subject, someone who's worked as a journalist my whole life. You know, this is just this is an organization that's trying to get 
fundraising, get money and do this through this, you know, ultra, you know, conservative method that and, we're and, seeing. And you call it a stunt. So I'll ask you first and come back to Sarbjeet, though. You call it a stunt. Did the stunt work? Did they make these well, yeah, security people and, and cops look kind of aggressive, look kind of bad? And we're he plays the victim. I mean, yes, I know. And he plays the victim really, really well. We can we can all look with disdain on it. But um, it, it, you just need several thousand or several, you know, 70,000 Canadians to say, oh, I, I should send those guys 10 bucks. I feel bad for them. That's right. all they want. That's all they want yeah. at the end of the day. So they kind of he kind of lays a trap and people fall into it. Hook, line and sinker. Sarbjeet, same it thing. Doesn't help. It doesn't help that we have politicians that who put out an email saying, oh, wow, this is terrible. <laughs> I would say that right. I have noticed from their early days. You know, media used to do the whole, like, let's stand in solidarity. And in a way, it almost emboldened them. They tried to give them some credit in the beginning. But nowadays, you don't see any legitimate media person journalist defend them because everybody knows what they're doing by this point. But then you still have also- Pierre Polyev doing an email or Twitter saying this is a Mr. Defund the police is now right. Mr. Defend the freedom of the press, yeah. quote unquote press. Like, what's and- going on? Exactly. And the other thing also, I find this so fascinating, is that we've always had a decorum. You have a respect as journalists for our elected officials, right? You try to show some kind of respect. You know, I would never have asked a reporter to go and, you know, to try to, uh, you know, ambush Christian Freeland in that way. You would work with her spokesperson, you would work with her comms person respectfully. And, you know, Mr. Polyev, we've seen his lack of respect for the media. He's been feeding it, eating an apple while he's talking to a reporter. Granted, yes, the reporter could have done better homework, but this is all feeding into this, this, you know, take down the mainstream media. I'll do the job for you. Oh, and here, send us money. Uh, you got that right. But but I think sometimes the media says, well, I'm going to support somebody else in the media just because they're in the media. And I do think I think we've all Steph, I think we've all had moments where somebody has called our programming out or us out or, hey, you, yeah. you got this wrong. You nailed it. Polyev's eating the apple. But but Pierre's also been able to push at times back to media, answer real questions and say, yeah. I'm sorry, you're you can't just make a vague, broad statement about me. Give me an example. And some people have preferred that to the prime minister. Simply what his bit is uh, taking a question and answering a completely different question, which is maddeningly frustrating for journalists, isn't it? Yeah, I get that. And I think that I understand why Mr. Polyev did that. And it's fair and good on him. There's just a more respectful way to do it. Yeah. And and a, and a less less loud fruit to eat, I think, at the end of the day, like a peach <laughs> yeah. or something like that. All right. This story is fascinating. I talked about it in our household last night. We couldn't get enough of this. So it's two thirty in the morning. This happens in Peterborough, a robbery attempt. Twenty two year old clerks, two thirty in the morning. So already I think you're a little bit you're either sleepy or you're a little bit tense. Guy comes in with a baseball bat, says, give me your money. And in essence, a struggle happens. The, the clerk's already been hit by the same baseball bat. But the guy ends up, the guy who's working there, gets the bat away from the 37-year-old would-be robber. But, and this is according to Peterborough, Peterborough Police sent out a statement even this morning that I just saw a few minutes ago, uh, that they're pretty adamant. They looked at the video of this very carefully before they, you know, made a, you know, a very, just a casual arrest. So this guy is now under arrest for assaulting the attempted robber. So we don't know what we don't know about this story, Sarbjeet, but I do know this. 
the public will very much um, be be backing at least some element of support for self-defense and this guy making sure that this guy didn't, you know, if you, if you just shake the guy away, who's to say this guy doesn't come back with more people and more weapons? It's It's a really tricky topic, but it's got people discussing it for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I definitely think there are scenarios where if someone has come and robbed you of $10 and they're on the way out and they're running and they're half the way down the block and, you know, in America, the person then takes the gun and go chases them down and shoots them dead. That's not good because your $10 is not worth or Mm -hmm. justifying murdering someone. But this sounds like there was a, a scuffle, a kerfuffle, and your adrenaline would be pumping. And if you get a hold of that bad and you're just hitting them, hitting them, hitting them, you're probably just... Well, at that point, almost, you know, running on adrenaline and just fearful and uh, trying to trying to protect yourself. So, again, having not seen the video, not sure um, what happened, but that's what I can imagine. And I don't think that it's something that most people or, or maybe even a court would uphold is that this person did something wrong. Yeah, Steph, there's going to be that line there. This this 37-year-old's in a Toronto hospital. They took him from Peterborough all the way to Toronto, and he's being treated for head injuries in Toronto Hospital right now. So he has not been released yet. He's got his own set of charges for the attempted robbery, but this is there's going to be a lot of back and forth. If this goes to trial, people are going to watch very closely as to this because what's that line in defending your home or defending a workplace, especially if you've already been attacked? Well, I get it when if you I heard you talking about, you know, if somebody was in your house, you'd get that baseball bat from your front door. Mine's beside my bed. And you would, you know, <laughs> not good news you, for your husband that it's there. But yes, uh, exactly. You know, he's not here. Well, anyway, <laughs> early morning hours. So but the point that what I'm looking at, though, some telltale things here that that are flags, red flags. Number one, the clerk did not get bail and he mm-hmm. was charged with with aggravated assault. So that's a really serious level of assault, right? It's a step up from uh, uh, the uh, assault causing bodily harm. So aggravated assault means that something happened uh, that took it out of the realm of uh, self-defense, let's say. Okay. so when he was in the store, he was hit by the baseball bat. The clerk gets the bat. uh, The guy runs. The robber runs out of the store. The clerk now chases him with a bat. And so how far did they get from the store? Um, how many times did he, did he beat him to a pulp? He's alive, you know, thank God. But, you know, how severe an aggravated assault is very different. So I'm not saying I don't understand people wanting to respond in kind, but maybe what's happened here because he wasn't given bail, what's behind that? Does this guy have a prior record? Uh, mm-hmm. Were there some other concerns? So I think we need to get a little bit more information on first blush. Yes, it's like, what do you mean? I'm protecting myself. I can't beat up this guy like he did me with a bat. But, you know, I think there's more to watch for here. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you guys both. I, made, also, yeah. I agree. And I think it's worth reminding everyone that in any type of situation like this, it could go bad very, very quickly. So mm. it's better not to fight. It's better to give up whatever was in the till. Mm-hmm. They want to steal some chips. That's not that's not your bag of chips. It's not. Well, whatever you're getting paid is not good enough to risk your life. And uh, that's I think that's what police often remind people as well. So okay. if you don't have to defend yourself, 
I would just uh, this is what we were taught in retail with shoplifting and whatnot. Don't 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 get yourself into a dangerous situation. I hear that the police chief. By the way, this statement this morning, just for uh, for you guys and and our listeners, uh, the police chief wrote this. Kate, yes, this case is unusual, but in a world where security cameras are everywhere, do you really think we would not have seized and reviewed the footage as part of the investigation and prior to laying charges? So I don't know whether we'll get to see that footage. My guess is at some point we might. Um, but he feels it's of the, course. Yeah, the men and women of of uh, of the Peterborough Police. This chief Stu Betts. He says he's been on the job a year. He's not going to tolerate any criticism of this particular case without people knowing more about it which to both your points tells you there's a lot more to be seen and the video might explain a lot we're way out of time but i gotta thank you both for coming on really passionate awesome stuff this morning sarb g thank you stephanie thank you as well thank you welcome have a great day sarb g core stephanie Smythe, part of the think tank panel this morning